Please be seated. Children, you are dismissed to go to the rear and enjoy the teaching of God's Word. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to have you here this morning. My name is Nathan. If I have not had a chance to meet you, uh, glad to be able to uh, begin this Advent season with you. Joey mentioned we're going to be in a couple different passages um, this morning, uh, but uh, I wanted to kind of give us a little bit more context as it relates to this idea of Advent, something that Christians have done for a while. Uh, the word Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming. Uh, and so Christians extor- uh, historically use this season to celebrate the coming of Christ, coming of uh, the promised Messiah that was promised from so long ago. We uh, celebrate this time of Advent, not only to celebrate the coming of Christ, but as we just thought about just a moment ago, we believe that he will come again. So the promise that he had made to come once gives us confidence that he will come again just as he said he would. And that's what we're celebrating, his coming this season. And we're going to go through this Advent season over the course of the next four weeks. Uh, We're going to take a look at Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6. And in there, we see that there's a promised child. You heard it read, I'll read it again. Uh, A child that is going to come. And you'll notice in there, there's four names that are given to that child. And we're going to take each of those names every week and evaluate those names in light of who Christ is and was. And so this week, we come to that very first one. Some of you, maybe like me this week, thought that there was five names. There was first the wonderful, then there was the counselor. But in fact, when you go back into the original language, you find that it's one name, wonderful counselor. That's what we're going to look at next week. We'll think about mighty God, everlasting father. You'll want to come for that one. What's that about? Right. So come for that week. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, last Sunday, we'll think about uh, that final name, the Prince of Peace. Uh, There's a great story, though, that begins us, that helps us to think about this wonderful counselor. Uh, There's a man by the name of Joshua that lived uh, a while back, and he, late in his life, suffered a heart attack. And after suffering a heart attack, he's lying on a bed, and next to him is a very close friend of his by the name of Sam. And he leans over to Sam as he's suffering and just whispers to him uh, as he's suffering seemingly at the end of his life. He says, Sam, I feel only gratitude for my life. For every moment that I have lived, I am ready to go. I've seen so many miracles in my life. And he was uh, understandably full of, he doesn't have much energy after ushering those words. And after a moment of silence, he leans back over to Sam and says, never once in my life did I ask God for success, for wisdom, for power, or for fame. I asked God for wonder, and he gave it to me. Now, ever since I read that story, I've joined with the prayer of that man. I just think that's a great thing to pray. We don't need power, fame, success, money, whatever the case may be, but if God would just grant us wonder, that's what he prayed for, and I think that's what would be good for us to pray for. But wonder is hard to find nowadays, isn't it? Wonder is difficult to find. Brennan Manning has said that the more we know about meteorology, the less inclined we are to pray in a thunderstorm. Right? So there's something about the acquisition of our knowledge. The more and more we get of it, the less and less we have space to wonder. See, a thunderstorm used to be uh, the voice of God. But now it's nothing more than you know, heat releasing from a cumulus cloud. Right? 
We used to think of the fall colors in the fall as the handiwork of God. Now it's nothing more than just chlorophyll releasing from leaves. We used to think of bread as the fruit of that wheat that we planted, say, a year ago, and God blessed and gave us food to eat. But now, bread is nothing more than that thing that we get on the shelf at the giant food store, alongside of the other prepackaged goods that we carry home and microwave in between our busy lives. We are people starved for wonder. We have become so full of information and I think cynicism that it's difficult to find wonder in our lives because our lives are so often busy or distracted, too slow to slow down and see wonder. But if ever there is a time in which to recapture wonder, I think it's during the Christmas season, right? Christmas allows us this possibility to maybe recapture wonder uh, from either singing Silent Night to candlelight services to watching snowfall to the uh, look in children's eye. Christmas affords us the opportunity to step back into the mystery of wonder. And so let's join Joshua's, this man that I mentioned earlier, let's join his plea for wonder by evaluating the wonderful counselor, the child that has come to us. And here's how I'm going to do that this morning. Here's how we're going to attack it. So I'm going to start out by taking a look at Isaiah 9, 6, and we'll evaluate the context of that passage. And then after doing that, I'll then bring some definition to Wonderful Counselor. Then we're going to go into the execution of the Wonderful Counselor. We're going to see him in action, giving some of that Wonderful Counsel. And then finally, we'll bring some application. So we'll go context, definition, execution, ex- uh, application. Sorry, I couldn't come up with a sh- shun sound for that first context, context one. So here we go. Let me pray for us as we jump back into Isaiah 9, 6. Let me pray briefly. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would fill us with wonder as we look into the face of our wonderful counselor, in whose name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here we are in the context. Let's take a look at the context of these words that we just read. Isaiah, uh, like Jonah that we've been looking at, is in the Old Testament or the First Testament It's written long before the time of Christ's appearing. Its purpose is to account for the warnings of Isaiah to God's disobedient people, as well as to give comfort to those that truly believe. And the passage that I just read there is speaking directly about Jesus Christ. There's a number of reasons by which I can tell you why that's the case, but maybe the most convincing would be the fact that Matthew, who was Jesus' disciple, said that it did. So if you were to look in Matthew chapter 4, you can turn there if you'd like, but if you wanted to look in the Matthew chapter 4, you'd see that Matthew in chapter 4, down to verses 12 into 17, he quotes Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, uh, Matthew says that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. 
And so therefore, we have the context of Isaiah 9 understood by Jesus' disciple to be Jesus. The child that is appearing is Jesus. And then after quoting Isaiah 9 and 1-2, Matthew then comes out of that and says this in Matthew 4-17. After quoting Isaiah 9-1-2, he then writes, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's right at the beginning of his ministry, public ministry. So God's word would have us to understand that Isaiah 9 and the beginning of Jesus' ministry of bringing in the kingdom of heaven here on earth, he understood those two things to go together. So that's going to be really helpful in our study of this uh, passage for one important reason. All the names of the child that is to be born are in reference to a government leader. So you've got to get that piece of it. So the child that is to be born are referencing, they're in the context of a government leader. Or maybe better put, the child that was coming was a king that would bring in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So that's the first thing we need to understand about this name, Wonderful Counselor. It's in the context of a government or a king and a kingdom. So take a look again at Isaiah 9. Look at verse 6. The government shall be on his shoulder. There it is. And then after the names, verse 7, of the increase of his, what? Government. And of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David, there's a king, right? And over his kingdom, kingdom, kingdom of heaven, to establish it, the kingdom, uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So clearly, the child that is to be born is a king that is bringing in a heavenly, everlasting government. The very same thing that Matthew wants us to understand. And we even see more of this in the book of Luke. When uh, the angel speaks to Mary about the child that uh, she is going to give birth to. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, you're going to notice, listen when I read this, you're going to notice the angel is going to say almost the same thing as Isaiah 9, 7. Listen to his words. This is the angel speaking to Mary. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord, will, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, almost identical language to Isaiah. So wonderful counselor then should be understood in the context of a king and his coming heavenly kingdom. I'm emphasizing this because while we all know Jesus is a king, I don't know that most of us think of him that way. We don't tend to think of him as a king that's bringing in a kingdom, bringing in a government rule, a way of life, a new world, a new administration. I don't think we normally think of him that way. We might know that he's a king, but I think most of the time when we think about Jesus, we tend to think about him as a savior, which of course he is. But I wonder how much we think about him as a king that's bringing in a kingdom. Which, this is exactly what Paul says happens to the Christian. When they repent and believe on Christ, they're transferred, we know, from the domain of darkness to the what? Kingdom of the beloved Son. So that's how Christianity is understood. It's in the context of citizens of a king and a kingdom that's being brought in the kingdom of heaven. And so now that we have the context of the passage, namely a king and a kingdom and a government rule coming in, let's now turn to the definition of that first name of the child to be born. Wonderful counselor. What does that mean? Wonderful counselor. Counselor. Well, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that language? Wonderful counselor. I wonder what it would be. When you hear that wonderful counselor, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? For me, if you're anything like me, the first thing that comes into my mind is a guy sitting on a leather couch 
with uh, you know, glasses on his nose, a notepad in his hand, providing some good counsel to somebody that needs some help. That's sort of the, when I think about a wonderful counsel, you know, like the people, they walk out like premarital counseling, they walk, man, that was a wonderful counsel, you know. That's sort of the image that comes to my mind. But that's not exactly what's going on here. Right? We just talked about the fact that the context is what? It's a king and a kingdom, a government that's breaking in. Not a psychologist, which Jesus is those things. He does those kinds of things. But the context here is of a king who's bringing in a heavenly government. So the image that should come into our minds when we think about wonderful counselor is a king sitting on a throne directing his people. So for we Americans, maybe uh, it might be helpful to think about maybe like a president standing and giving the State of the Union address. But the counsel that he, Jesus, is giving is wonderful. That is, it's full of wonder. It's not mere information about a tax plan. It's wonderful counsel or direction from a king. Now, this is important to understand because that word wonderful there in the text in Isaiah 9, it is not connected to anything of man or that man can do. So you need to know that. It's an important thing to understand this name. That word wonderful is never ascribed to anything in the Bible that man can can do the word is only connected to god and his amazing otherworldly heavenly if we could say it that way activity and so wonderful here means something unusual or beyond the capability of humanity let me give you some examples uh exodus chapter 15 i want you guys to say it with me all right we're going to talk back a little bit to each other exodus 15 your, your word is wonders ready it's really simple all right. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deed, doing? Wonder. There you go. That's it. There's the context, right? Psalm 77, 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your Wonder. wonders of old, right? And the third one, Psalm 78, 12. In the sight of their fathers, he performed Wonder. in the land of Egypt. Do you see the context here? You get the flavor of this word, wonderful. The word is talking about things that are extraordinary. Things that are unexplainable by humanity. Things that can only be explainable by an infinite God. So it's not sort of like looking at a beautiful painting of Monet saying, man, that's wonderful. That's not exactly what's going on here. This is more like going to sleep in Washington, D.C. and waking up in Beijing, China and having no idea how you got there. Right? You'd wake up and go, what, like, what, uh, what, how did this, right? That's, it would be full of wonder, right? You wouldn't be able to kind of piece it together. That's what, that's what Jesus' name here means when it says these wonderful counselors. So now take a look at the events there. Now in light of that, then in your mind, let's evaluate the events of Jesus' birth. And just sort of see how it was wonderful, how this child that was born was wonderful counselor and wonderful as we've been defining it. So think about the shepherds. Remember the shepherds? Shepherds keeping watch of their field by night, right? Angel appears, child is born, more angels come out, glory to God in the highest. They leave their fold, they go to the city, they find Mary and Joseph, baby lying in a manger, and they give account to Mary and Joseph as to what happened. And we find in the text, what does it say? It says, Mary and Joseph, in Luke chapter 2, verse 18, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then think about Simeon, right? Remember Simeon, who was promised to see Christ, the Christ before he died, moved by the Spirit. 
Okay, so Mary Joseph walking into the temple. Moved by the Spirit, he goes, sees this baby. This would be in a moment, right? Picks up the child from Mary. Holds him in her arms. And he begins to speak prophecy about this child to Jesus, about who he is, what he's going to do. And the text tells us, as Mary and Joseph stood there looking at Simeon, it says that they marveled at what was said about him. But maybe the best way to illustrate this notion of wonder and wonderful counselor in Jesus is many of you have heard the story of Jesus when he was a grown man uh, calming the storm. Y'all familiar with that story? Some of you are. All right. Disciples there, they're in a boat, they're out on a sea. Um, the storm begins to pick up and the waves begin to crash into the boat. Disciples are thinking that their lives are coming to an end. And where's Jesus throughout all of this? He's taking a nap, right? Sleeping away. So the disciples go and they wake him up and they're so scared. And Jesus says back to them, sort of a strange question, makes us to think about his wonder. Why are you so afraid, he says? Oh, you have little faith. I mean, I'm disciples. I'm sitting there going, what do you mean? I'm so afraid. I mean, you, you watching what's happening here, Jesus. Jesus then rebukes the winds and the waves. And there was great calm with just a few words. Now, if you were in the boat and that happened, what would you do? Right? You'd be like, like, what just happened? Well, listen to how the disciples respond. Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. This is a great illustration of wonderful. The men, it says, marveled. Note that they didn't marvel at the seas being still. Note what they are marveling at. Then they marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? That even winds and sea obey him. See, friends, that's what the word wonderful means. It's not like looking at a beautiful painting or listening to a wonderful symphony and saying wonderful. No, it's unexplainable. Those things are, those other things are kind of explainable. We could understand. Man takes paint, puts it on thing, you know, on a canvas. I can make sense of that. The word here is like what those disciples said in the boat. They couldn't piece it together. They wondered at him. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I've had so much trouble this week trying to put this sermon together. Someone asked me, how's the sermon going? I said, well, I have to preach on something that's unexplainable. So how do you think it's going? You know, it's difficult to define, right? So the child that was born to us was going to be a king that would usher in a heavenly kingdom. And his name was Wonderful Counsel. That is, he would counsel towards the wonderful towards the inexplicable, towards the extraordinary. He would be a king that would cause us to marvel at his heavenly counsel. In other words, this child would have counsel so wonderful that we would not be able to explain it. Makes sense a little bit, hopefully. That's sort of what we're after here. So we've seen the context now. We've seen the definition of what wonderful counselor mean. Now let's see the king in action. Let's see this wonderful counselor in action. Let's see his execution. Let's go to his throne room and hear some of his wonderful counsel and see how wonderful it is. Take a look now at Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 33. Now we're going to see the execution. We're going to see this wonderful counselor in action and listen to his counsel and see how wonderful it is. We're going to read two parables here. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a lesson. So here we go. Matthew 13, 31 to 33. The he there is Jesus. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven. So there's the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, 
that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. And when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So basic point here of the first parable is fairly clear. The kingdom of heaven is like something that starts small and grows to be huge. The second parable is essentially the same idea. You have something hidden inside, small, unseen, and it grows to take up the whole thing. But listen to this. Don't miss this. The smallness or the hiddenness and the greatness that Jesus is talking about here should not be limited in our understanding to numerical size. Right? He's not just talking about the fact that maybe it starts with one and goes to a hundred. That's not all that he's saying. He can't be since he tells us later that uh, right, narrow is the way that leads to the kingdom and only a few are going to enter it. That's what he tells us. So Jesus is certainly including in numeral, he's including numerical size in the tiny, in the hidden. But the tininess also includes the how of the kingdom. The kingdom will be tiny in that it will be in- including people and places and things that are tiny, that are seen as tiny, that are seen as small, that are seen as hidden, but will become great. And so what wonderful counselor is saying here, then, is that his government, his kingdom, will begin small in size and will be small in sight. But eventually it will be seen to be, grow, it will eventually grow to be seen as great, consuming all. It will begin in a way that is unimpressive, using people, places, and things that are tiny like a mustard seed. They will all be things that are mixed into the flower of the world, hidden from the eyes of the world. But eventually they will be grown and be seen as being great, seen as being great. Right? What the world sees as small will be seen as great. What the world cannot see because it's hidden in the world will eventually grow to overwhelm the world. This is the way of the kingdom of heaven. This is the wonderful counselor of the king. Jesus will use the small to build the great. There's a great story that I think il- illustrates wonderful counselor's words here. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Joshua Bell. And Joshua Bell is a great violinist. And uh, on January the 10th, on the evening of January the 10th, 2007, he played in a concert hall in Boston, Massachusetts. Average price that night of the ticket to listen to Joshua Bell, over $100 a piece. Sitting on a stage... A lot of people, very expensive, like he looks nice, beautiful music. They play, people leave and are very satisfied at this amazing environment. Well, fast forward two days later, January the 12th, 2007. Same guy, Joshua Bell, now is no longer in a great, great uh, you know, opera house or whatever the case may be. Um, he now is in the L'Enfant Plaza metro station, right down here in Washington, D.C. January the 12th, 2007. And instead of sitting up on a stage, now he's in a metro station, a dirty metro station, and he uh, no longer has nice clothes on sitting up on stage. Instead, he, uh, he puts on a baseball hat and a T-shirt. And he used, at that Boston concert, he used a $3.5 million Stradivari violin. Did I say that right, Sophie? Stradivari. Stradivari, Donna, I got that. Stradivari, $3.5 million Stradivari violin. He used that exact same violin to play in... Uh, the L'Enfant metro station. Now here's what's interesting. 
He's playing this beautiful music. He plays for 45 minutes. And at the conclusion of 45 minutes, he makes a total of, he has a little box out there, people just walking by. So many people not paying any attention to him. Over a thousand people walked by. A handful stopped and listened to him for a couple. There was one person that knew who he was and sort of stopped. But most of them walked right by. And at the end of that 45 minutes, after playing this beautiful music, on that $3.5 million Stradivari violin, he makes $32.17. It's great. Go watch it on YouTube. It'll be amazing. It's just people just walking right by, not paying any attention to him. In other words, Joshua Bell, this great violinist, and this beautiful music was hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. Joshua Bell had made himself small by going into this tiny, dirty uh, little um, metro station. Thousands of people walked right by him, never even broke stride, never paid attention to him. He was hidden in plain sight, just like the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That's what Jesus seems to be teaching us. What Jesus is saying, the child that is born to Virgin Mary is God incarnate. The same one who spoke the world into existence and is holding the world together and reconciling everything to himself. That one. That one, the the same one that will go on to say that all authority is his on heaven and on earth. He is going to build his kingdom on the small and the insignificant. On the weak and the hidden things of the world. The kingdom will barely be recognized by the world in its own way. It won't even be seen. And when people do take the time to see it, it will be seen as small and insignificant. But eventually, it will be revealed to be what it actually is. Great and all-consuming. The greatest government in the history of the world. The kingdom of heaven will break in like that. See, the wonderful counsel of the wonderful counselor reveals his wonder By taking what is small and hidden in the world and making something great out of it. See, friends, the Joshua Bell went from greatness and hid himself in a dirty metro station and played the same beautiful music only to be largely ignored. But eventually, when the Washington Post records what had happened, most every reader regretted that they didn't slow down to stop and see what was happening. They eventually saw its greatness, but it was hidden to them in plain sight. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven. The child born to us is wonderful counselor because his government is not built on the back of what the world sees as strong. He shows his might, his wonder, by making greatness out of smallness. Guys, just slow down and think about this. The second person of the Trinity incarnated himself into a baby. He did so with a simple teenage woman unknown to the world. No prominence, no sort of person that you would expect for him to have chosen. And when he was born, I mean, they didn't even have a room for him at the Motel 6, right? No room there. No, go to the barn. Sorry, no room here. Laid in a manger. You guys know what a manger is? It's a horse trough. It's what they feed on. The king of the world in a manger, in a barn. He grows up in a little town that was said to have nothing good come from it. The Bible said that Jesus had no beauty that would have drawn us to him. He was just a regular looking God. People have said that if you saw a picture of Jesus and the 12 disciples, you not would have known which one he was. He frequently dismissed the crowds and often did he invest in his 12 disciples. 12 slow-witted common men. Thank God, because I'm just like them. Fishermen, tax collectors. Regular guys. He has no wife. 
nor does he have a home to call his own. He rode into Jerusalem as a hero, only to be quickly cast aside because of this very teaching in this parable. They wanted an earthly king that would return the splendor of the former Israel immediately, give them the immediate happiness and joy that they wanted now, not wanting to wait for it any longer. This, folks, is the plan of God. Jesus was having none of that plan to kind of usher in this glorious kingdom, come riding in on a white horse and that sort of thing. He was coming in to the city of Jerusalem on that day like a tiny, insignificant mustard seed. He subjected himself to the ridicule of religious leaders who used God to make a name for themselves. He falsely accused, he was falsely accused, and yet he never opened his mouth one time to defend himself. Pilate watches this happen, and you know what it says in the New Testament? Pilate looks at the fact that Jesus is being accused falsely, and he never says anything. Pilate looks at that, and it says he wondered. He even had an opportunity to be let go, Jesus did, but... Instead, those very same people that were shouting Hosanna for him a week prior now wanted the common criminal to be let go instead of him. He was mocked by having a crown of thorns shoved upon his head. He had a purple robe thrown upon his back and he was beat in the head time and again. All the while they were saying to him, Hail, King of the Jews, mocking him. Soon enough, Jesus was crucified as a common criminal. By the way, he was killed in a way that the Jews would have understood to be a way of cursing. And as he hung there, people came by and wagged their fingers at him and said he could save others, but he could not save himself. And they kept on walking. And as he cried out his last breath, saying, it is finished, it appeared to all that he had lost, and yet his greatness was hidden in plain sight. While everyone thought that he was losing, Jesus was in the midst of the greatest victory in the history of the world. He was sowing a tiny little mustard seed into the ground. See, Jesus showed the measure of his wonder when he, the innocent, stood in our place, condemned for sin, taking our penalty upon himself, only to reveal the greatness of his seed on that third day when he rises from the dead, previewing for us what he taught us in this parable. Namely, that what had began as small, insignificant, unnoticed, eventually becomes great, wonderful, counselor, indeed, we find. And the story of Christ. And even that does not, the story just continues on. This idea of this kingdom breaking in, very small and wonderful. After Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. Those disciples then take this, after receiving the Spirit, boldly preach the gospel and they see amazing change. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when people in Jerusalem saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were what? What would we expect them to be? Astonished, marveling, wondered. People began to wonder at the fact that the common, uneducated men were doing signs and wonders. And Jesus could have easily chosen, couldn't he? Jesus could have easily chosen the elites of his day. He could have chosen the wealthy and the strong, the governors of the well-to-do. But he didn't. He didn't. Because, why? Because he's the wonderful counselor, king. He takes the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He takes the common, the forgotten, the small, and makes them big. This is what he's like. Is what his counsel is like. 
And that's the way that he shows himself to be wonderful counselor. So anybody with wealth or strength could begin a government by utilizing all of their power, right? There's nothing wonderful about that. If Bill Gates wanted to start his own company, right, it would not be so wonderful for him to sort of do so and make it wonderful really quick. We could explain that. But for God to show his power through weakness, what a strange way to save the world. And yet what a wonderful way for him to do it. So now we're left to ask this question, how do we then walk in light of this way of the kingdom? How is it we live under the counsel of wonderful counselor as Christians, as citizens of his kingdom? What does it look like for us to live in light of that? So this is the application. We thought about the context of king and government, the definition of this otherworldly wonderfulness in his counsel, his execution and using the small things of the world to make greatness. And so how is it we, as Christians, citizens of this kingdom, subjects, glad, happy subjects of the wonderful counselor, what does it look like for us to live in light of this? Simple statement, difficult to do. We do not love the world. We do not love the world. First John 2.15 And by world, I mean the system of the world that is discipling us every day into its agenda. Jesus is wonderful counselor because he's bringing in a heavenly kingdom, a new kind of government. And we are, those that are in Christ, we are those of that kingdom, those of us that are in that kingdom, citizens of that kingdom. We are not of this world. And so we ought not love this world and act in accordance with its ways. We should be different in some sort of way. We should be wonderful in an odd kind of way. And so one of the reasons I think that we are so full of cynicism, doubt, and despair and so void of wonder is because we all, myself included, love this world. We walk in its counsel. We live for its approval. We order our days by its dictates. And at the same time, we say that we believe that our heaven is our home, which makes sense why we don't have a lot of wonder. We are trying to keep one foot in two separate boats going in two different directions. We say that we are citizens of heaven all the while loving the earth. Do not love the world, beloved. Don't love the world. Jesus prayed for you, Christian. Prayed for us 2,000 years ago in John 17 when he said that they, the Christians, his disciples, they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. We are said to be aliens, sojourners, exiles in this world. And yet at the same time, we try so hard to fit in, don't we? We lose our wonder by losing the counsel of hoping in heaven. The great kingdom of heaven. The great government of the wonderful counselor. Our king, whose kingdom is breaking in, does so in a wonderful way. He doesn't do it in the way of the world. The way of the world is so explainable. It's easy to understand. The way of the king is not. His ways are filled with wonder. So just think about some of these things. So Jesus values the small. The world values the big. Jesus values the insignificant. The world says that you're nothing until you become significant in their eyes. Jesus values those that give more than they receive. This world is engineered for you to receive, to consume. 
Jesus values the church enough to give his life for it. This world thinks the church is a relic of the past, a waste of time, just an obligation at best. Jesus loves this idea of submission. This world hates that word. Jesus loves discipleship and evangelism. This world would have you to keep those things to yourself and keep them out of the public square. Jesus tells us to embrace suffering for his sake. This world says do everything you can to avoid suffering. Jesus values his design for loving relationships. This world wants to redesign loving relationships into its own image. Jesus values the faithful. The world values the flashy. Jesus values the humble. The world values the arrogant. Jesus values the weak, the outcast, the destitute, the hurting. This world world wants to run over the weak, make fun of the outcast and the destitute, and not even listen to the hurting. Jesus loves the Bible as God's own word. This world shuns the Bible and values its own word. Jesus values the glory of God above all else. This world values its own glory. We must not love the world, but we must love more the world to come. The place of our wonderful counselor. The shepherds saw a glimpse of it and they wondered. Mary saw a glimpse of it and she treasured it. The disciples saw it and were willing to die for it. And at the very same time, throngs of people saw these very same things, this very same counselor, and thought nothing of it, all the while claiming to love God. In other words, it was hidden to them in plain sight. They were dazzled more by the world, and they didn't see Jesus for who he actually was. And so will we walk in the wonderful counsel of our wonderful counselor? Or will we walk in the counsel of the world? I don't know about you guys, but I've been absolutely just gut-wrenched at watching 2017 play out. I mean, I've gotten to where I don't even want to watch the news from the deluge of these awful sexual abuse uh, instances to dishonest leaders being exposed with no integrity to wars and rumors of wars to racism to senseless shootings to unparalleled greed and sexual immorality To the selling of baby parts? Folks, the direction of this world, the direction this world is taking, it's not working. It's not working. So in this time, the thing that gives me peace is I need, we need a king that is wonderful and provides counsel, wonderful counsel in the midst of a world that seems to be unraveling. And this king has made himself known to us But he can be hidden to us in plain sight. We can look right past him. So we need to slow down, listen to his good counsel. And if we do that, if we walk in the wonder of his ways, that's going to mean that we're going to have to be willing to let the world make fun of us or look right past us, which, of course, is the same way they treated Jesus. We have to remember that Jesus says the kingdom begins small, hidden, out of sight from the cultural elites. And as this happens, we have to know that throughout all, Eventually, we will be seen for who we are. Great in the eyes of God. Great. Large enough to encompass every tribe, tongue, and nation. Heaven on earth. And it will be seen as such soon enough. But it will be sown in weakness. Forgottenness. So, brothers and sisters, 
We have to reprioritize our lives and stop flirting with the world. Learn to see as God sees, not as man sees. Learn to value what God values. Learn to love what God loves. Learn to hate what God hates. Spending our time or money in ways that make no sense unless that child born in Bethlehem really was who he said he was. A king that's breaking in a kingdom that makes no sense unless God's promises are true. And so may we walk in those ways, encouraging one another as we go, living inside of his wonderful counsel. Let's pray. Oh, Father. We're so thankful that you're like this. We're so grateful, God, that you sent your son as a baby born to a wonderfully profound godly woman hidden from the rest of the world. So thankful that you use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Weak things like us. We clay pots. Thank you, God, that you're like this. Teach us to live in the wonder of Christ and his great authority on heaven. Knowing that heaven is not, or that earth is not our home, but heaven is our home. And we will be there soon enough. Make us willing, God, to live in accordance with your good, wonderful word. And invite others into that beautiful land. We ask it in Jesus' name.